Good morning. Good morning. Well, uh, Austin stole my introduction, so I don't know what to do about giving your neighbor a high five. But, man, I am so glad that you are here with us this morning. My name is Ben Chapman. I'm one of the pastors here at Luminous Church. It's always an honor and opportunity for me to come up here and um, talk about God's word and communicate what um, what I feel like God is saying to us, and hopefully um, we do great hermeneutics, and hopefully we take everything in context, and that's very appropriate as we end our series called Job. Everybody say Job, not Job. Job, as we conclude our series, I just want to set this up. Uh, we started this out. This is a survey through Job, so we're not going line by line necessarily, chapter by chapter. If we were to do that, we would be here for 42 weeks. And so we decided to move on um, next week for our Easter service. But I, I thought it was appropriate in, in this season of our church because I know that um, how many of us have ever dealt with any kind of pain or suffering and we didn't quite know the reason why. Anybody um, deal with pain or suffering and you may not know the reason why? I, I think Job is so appropriate for this. And so um, three weeks ago, we, four weeks ago, actually, we started Job chapter 1. We talked about how Job had seven sons, three daughters. He was wealthy. He was upright. He was righteous, and he had integrity. That's very important to know that Job was full of integrity and that he was upright because as affliction came to him and God allowed that to happen and he started suffering and, and, and he had boils and I, I'm feeding back I'm just a little bit. Maybe it's me. I'm just too loud. Just too loud. Always too loud. Um, maybe that's just me, you know, they, ringing in my own ear. I apologize. Um, can we give Devin a great hand because he does <laughs> tremendous and every time... Every time you do that to the sound man, everybody looks at him and starts judging him. So put the judgment on me. Hallelujah. Come on. So Job chapter 1, we realize that Job's blessed. Job chapter 2 and the end of 1 and 2, we realize that he suffered greatly. He lost his seven sons, his three daughters. He had boils all over his body, all this affliction. Uh, Jared had the task of going through 35 chapters of Job last Sunday. And uh, man, applaud him because he did tremendous with that. And... And so there's been a lot of Job, and, and his friends came to him, and they basically, here's why you are suffering. They basically started accusing Job for things that Job never did. Uh, we often call it Christian karma. You ever heard of Christian karma? You do bad things, you'll get bad things. You do good things, you'll get good things. Um, we know this, God's principle, right? You do good, you'll probably reap some good. You do bad, you'll probably reap some bad. There's going to be negative consequences to bad actions. I mean, you know that's true uh, we're going to read that here in a little bit like there's negative actions bad negative responses to bad actions we know that but job was upright he didn't do anything there was nothing that he did and yet his friends were like there's something going on with you job there, i know there's something remember that one time what about that one time and they kept saying that one time and trying to accuse him but job was often he was basically i did nothing i did nothing and i have these questions myself What's happening? And so I'm going to try to go through five chapters of Job today, if you let me. And it's going to be a lot. But I, I, Eugene Peterson is going to be our best friend because he writes in poetic language. So we're going to read the message as our version today to help us digest a little bit of this. If we could, um, turn to your Bibles to Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. 
God begins to speak, and when God speaks, we remain silent. Job 38. And now finally, God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. He said, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you. I want some straight answers. Let's pray. Father, we do need you today. God, as we look at your scripture and we look at what Job is talking about, Father, in our cultural context of where we are in life and what we're dealing with and maybe the pain and the suffering and the trials and all the question marks, God, I pray that you would just bring truth in this situation. Father, reveal truth today. That's what we're asking in Jesus' name. Amen. So God shows up in a storm. He shows up in a storm, and there's a double meaning here. He says, brace yourself. Brace yourself practically because you're in a storm, right? If you don't brace yourself, you're going to blow away. Secondly, there's a double meaning. Brace yourself because I'm about to bring perspective like you've never heard before. So get ready, man up. Get ready and take this on the cheek. Get ready because it's going to be some tough stuff. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me. Since you know so much, who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? How was its foundation poured in? Who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise. And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it. A strong playpen so it couldn't run loose and said, stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. God is talking about how he's sovereign and in control over creation. That he made everything and it was. We read the creation story and we don't read that poetic language in the creation story, do we? What I love about this, this is a great insight because God will reveal a truth to you in different ways. He'll say it in different ways so that you can begin to understand it at greater lengths. For instance, I, I sometimes will tell my son or maybe you have an employee or maybe you have been a manager of something and you tell them to do something, but they don't do it. They, they didn't understand you. It, it didn't compute. You're like, go make your bed. Well, my son thinks making his bed is throwing the pillows on the bed, right? But, but that's not necessarily making your bed. You, you have to put the sheets back and the cover back and then put the pillows just right and, and leave it how it was before you got in. I have to start explaining things, use different language for him to comprehend what that means. Did you know this, that God uses different language for you to comprehend who he is and what he's done? He comes to you in your quiet time, as you journal, as you read, and he starts speaking differently. How many of you know if you read the creation story like that, you'd be like, whoa, that is a creation story. That is beautiful, poetic language. And I'm going to tell you, God is constantly using beautiful, poetic language to get to your heart, to make himself known, to manifest his greatness to you here on the earth. That's what he does because he loves you so much. God's going to come at you at different directions. It's, it's partially why I'm up here on this pulpit every Sunday is I'm coming at you with a different language to help you interpret Scripture through a new lens. It doesn't change truth. It just changes how you hear truth. 
Verse 12, and have you ever ordered morning, get up, told dawn, get to work, so you could seize earth like a blanket and shake out the wicked like cockroaches. As the sun brings everything to light, brings out all the colors and shapes, the cover of darkness is snatched from the wicked. They're caught in their very act. If you have secrets, they won't be secrets forever because God knows all. Do you know where light comes from and where darkness lives so you can take them by the hand and lead them home when they get lost? Well, of course you know that. You know them all your life, growing up in the same neighborhood with them. Have you ever traveled to where snow is made, seen the vault where hell is stockpiled, the arsenals of hell and snow that I keep in readiness for time of trouble and battle and war and to put some hell dents in my car so I can cash in the insurance check, somebody, praise God. Can you find your way to where lightning is launched or to the place from which the wind blows? Who do you suppose carves canyons for the downpours of rain and charts the route of the thunderstorms that bring water to unvisited fields, deserts no one ever lays eyes on, drenching the useless wasteland so they're carpeted with wildflowers and grass? And who do you think is the father of rain and dew, the mother of ice and frost? You don't for a minute imagine these marvels of weather just happened, do you? Can you catch the eye of the beautiful Pleiades sisters or distract Orion from his hunt? Can you get Venus to look your way or get the great bear and her cubs to come out and play? Do you know the first thing about the sky's constellations and how they affect things on earth? Can you get the attention of the clouds and commission a shower of rain? Can you take charge of the lightning bolts and have them report to you for orders? I want you to know something today that God is in control. God is in control. He's completely sovereign of all. Nothing is beyond his reach. He has made everything that we see and comprehend, and it doesn't matter what level of science and the new discoveries, we're just discovering more of who God is. And on Palm Sunday, we see that as well in Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs of them. And he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. It was one thing in the garden for God to give the command to Adam, you have authority to name any animal. I give you that authority. I give you that permission. Whatever you name, you have authority of. For the business owners in here, you named your business, you have authority over that. But what we're seeing in this moment is we're saying, seeing that Jesus has ultimate authority. He has ultimate authority that surpasses our authority and his greatness, doesn't it? And here in a moment, he says the, the, the donkey will be untied and Jesus, the Savior, will ride this unbroken donkey. And it'll be peace. And it'll display his power and his majesty. It's beautiful language. I hope that you get this, how beautiful the gospel is and how it is for you and the majesty of God. In chapter 40, we pick up the story in verse 1. 
God then confronted Job directly. Now, what do you have to say for yourself? Are you going to haul me, the mighty one, into court and press charges, saying that I'm unjust, saying that there is no justice in me? Because I am justice. I am the most just. And there is no reason for you to haul me in court because there is no contempt in me. Job says this, I'm speechless in all. Words fail me. I should never have opened my mouth. I've taught too much, way too much. I'm ready to shut up and listen. When God speaks, I'm silent. God speaks, I have nothing to say. When God speaks, I know that he's just. And if his justice reigns, then I also don't have reason to defend myself. You know, God's your biggest advocate. God is your biggest advocate. And he, this is, this stinks for Job because Job thinks there's no fault in him, right? It's like when you're, you know, hanging out at school and we have some teachers in here and they come up, but teacher, I didn't do it. I didn't do it, teacher. You're in trouble still, you know, like <laughs> you're still in trouble. Why? Oh, it's because because there was something in you that still was accusatory. There was something in you, but God is just. He's amazing. He sees what's happening in Job, and although he was in, full of integrity, although he was upright, there was some pride in him that needed to be broken. He needed to be humbled. God addressed Job next from the eyes of the storm. That is what he said. And this is what he said. I have some more questions for you, and I want straight answers verse 8 do you presume to tell me what i'm doing wrong are you calling me a sinner so you can be a saint do you have an arm like my arm can you shout and thunder the way i can go ahead show your stuff let's see what you're made of what you can do unleash your outrage target the arrogant and lay them flat target the arrogant and bring them to their knees stop the wicked in their tracks make mince meat of them dig a mass grave and dump them in it faceless corpses in an unmarked grave i'll gladly step aside and hand things over to you you could surely save yourself with no help from me look at the land beast behemoth I created him as well as you. And all you like, yes, the dinosaur. We're talking about the dinosaurs now. I knew the dinosaurs were in there. Grazing on grass, docile as a cow. Just look at the strength of his back, the powerful muscles of his belly. His twelve sways like a cedar in the wind. Its huge legs are like the beech trees. His skeleton is made of steel. I knew it was a dinosaur. Every bone in his body, hard as steel. Most magnificent of all my creatures. But I still lead him around like a lamb. The grass-covered hills serve him meals while field mice frolic in his shadows. He takes afternoon naps under shade trees, cools himself in the ready swamps, lazily cool in the leafy shadows as the breeze moves through the willows. And when the river rages, he doesn't budge. Stolid and unperturbed, thank you, even when the Jordan goes wild, but you never want him for a pet. You never be able to housebreak him. He is large. He is in charge. He does what he wants. He lays where he wants. He, he, he can't be controlled. He can't be tamed, but God is in control. God is sovereign, and God can put him in his place. Job is being humbled. Pride is being knocked down. God is finally speaking. And in the moment that God speaks, 
And as we're humbled, we read just as Deuteronomy 4.29 says, if, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. For those who are humbled in spirit, they get to see God. They get to come into him. They get to see, they get to see who he is. It's, it's amazing. We have a behemoth, and then in chapter 41, or can you pull in the sea beast, Leviathan, with a fly rod and stuff him in your krill? Can you lasso him with a rope, or a rope or snag him with an anchor? Will he beg you over and over for mercy or flatter you with flowery speech? Will he ply for a job with you to run errands and serve you the rest of your life? Will you play with him as if he were a pet goldfish? Will you make him the mascot of the neighborhood children? Will you put him on display in the market and have shoppers haggle over the price? Could you shoot him full of arrows like a pin cushion or drive harpoons into his huge head? If you so much as lay a hand on him, you won't live to tell the story. What, what hope would you have with such a great creature? Why one look at him would you do in? If you can't hold your own against his glowing visage, how then do you expect to stand up to me? Who could confront me and get by with it? I'm in charge of this all. I run the universe. But I have more to say about Leviathan, the sea beast, his enormous bulk, his beautiful shape. Who would even dream of piercing that tough skin or putting those jaws into bit and bridle? And who could dare knock at the door of his mouth, filled with row upon row of fierce teeth? His pride is invincible. Nothing can make a dent in that pride. Nothing can get through that proud skin. Impervious to weapons and weather, the thickest and toughest of hides, impenetrable. He snorts and the world lights up with fire. He blinks and the dawn breaks, etc., etc., etc. Read the story yourself. This is crazy. Some of people and all the apologetics say, this is a crocodile. He's talking about a crocodile. He's talking about something logical, something in the natural, something that I can just make up. I want to tell you that Job started in the supernatural and is still in the supernatural. He's disclosing the, the greatness of God's creation, that he's making all sorts of things. He's making a sea beast and he's making a land beast. We can read in Revelation chapter 13 about a land beast and a sea beast. This this could be not just a physical, natural thing that we see, but it could be a supernatural being that he created. It could be, it could be Satan himself. It could be the demonic forces. It could be things that rejected God. It could be all these things. But here's the good news is God is in control. God is on the throne. That there's nothing that will surpass him. There's nothing that will pass him. He is amazing in every way. God is big why do we need to know that because if God is that big it starts to change things if God is that big we don't look at natural means and resources only because we need supernatural means and resources to accomplish what God has put Dr. Gregory Dean Cook hello Dr. Gregory Dean Cook, one of the theologians that I was listening to while we were formulating this message and contributed as much to this. 
He said, we are just a ridiculous people. We're a ridiculous people because we think with programs, policy, and money that we can control it all and natural means will be the thing that, that changes everything. We could change world hunger with a program. We can change our equality with policy. We could change all of this if we just have enough money. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how many natural things you have. Without supernatural God, we're not going to have answers. We're not going to be able to be the solution. You're going to miss it and fall short, and you're going to elevate yourself in a prideful way. We can fix this. We can do this in natural means. By natural substance, you need a supernatural God. I'm telling you, as you're using all your apologetics and everything you learned and whatever book you read and how people were smarter than you and you read from them, they'll still be smarter than you. And you use all that to, to share the gospel. You need a supernatural God to intervene in that person's life, to open their heart, to draw them to himself. Doesn't matter how well we're articulated. It doesn't matter all these things. And yet it does. And yet he'll use the supernatural and invade the natural and allow us naturally to live this out. But don't get it wrong because it's what we talked about in week two. The primary and secondary cause. God is orchestrating your steps. God has put your house together. He's built your bank account. He's put your kids together. He's put your job together. He's given you the mind to do everything that you've done. There is nothing without God. Nothing. It's all under his control, and this is good news. <laughs> it doesn't sound good, does it, Ben? Who can stand against me? If you can't hold your own against, against these things, how are you going to hold your own without God? Your dependence, your life, your reliance, everything is upon, is because of him and out of him. He holds it together. And Job 42, I'm convinced. You can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue? Second guessing my purpose. I admit it. I was the one. I babbled on about all things far beyond me. Made small talk about wonders wonders way over my head you told me listen and let me do the talking let me ask the questions you give the answers i admit i once lived by rumors of you now i have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears i'm sorry forgive me i'll never do that again i promise i'll never again live on crusts of hearsay crumbs of rumor get it. I'm humbled. You get the glory. You get the honor. You get the praise. Then he goes on, verse 7, after God had finished addressing Job, he turned to Eliphaz, the Timonite, and said, I've had it with you and your two friends. I'm fed up. You haven't been honest either with me or about me. Not the way my friend Job has. My friend Job. Do you know you're God's friend? Those who are in Christ Jesus, who are walking with him, although you're dying to yourself 
and it's a costly it's a friendship friendship some of us need in this room so here's what you must do Take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my friend Job. Sacrifice a burnt offering on your own behalf. My friend Job will pray for you. I will accept his prayer. He will ask me not to treat you as you deserve for talking nonsense about me and for not being honest with me as he has. They did it. Eliphaz, the Timonite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, did what God commanded, and God accepted Job's prayer. After Job had interceded for his friends, God restored his fortune and then doubled it. All his brothers and his sisters and his friends came to his house and celebrated. They told him how sorry they were and consoled him for all the trouble God had brought him. Each of them brought generous housewarming gifts. And here we see the gospel again. Job saw his friends and saw how they wronged God. God in his mercy and his grace said that your friends can be forgiven. Go and make intercession for them. Go and make intercession for them. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus, who made intercession for his friends, for you and me. He lived the life that you and I should have lived. He died the death that you and I should have died. He was up there on the cross with transgressors. He was marred. He was unrecognizable in every way. And there he was, innocent and upright. The greater Job in every way, there for his friends, dying the death that you and I deserve to die. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Rose from the dead and he had a greater inheritance than he did before. Because now he has you, and you, and you, and me. He was restored, and he's restored a people to himself. It's the great gospel. It's the great good news. God blessed Job's later life even more than his earlier life. He ended up with 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first daughter Dove, the second Cinnamon, and the third Dark Eyes. There was not a woman in that country as beautiful as Job's daughter. Their father treated them as equals, with their brothers providing the same inheritance treated them as equals. I want to let you know that the gospel treats people as equals. There's not a differentiation between man and woman, father and son, mother and daughter, but the gospel is a great equalizer for all of us, and Job is right in the gospel message. This is it. I paid the price for every man, woman, child, for every ethnicity. I paid the price for every socioeconomical class. I, I paid the price for all people groups that every tribe, language, and tongue would come to the throne. It's a great gospel. It's the good news for those who are in Christ Jesus. Job lived on another 140 years to live to see his children and grandchildren. Four generations of them. Then he died an old man full of life. Jesus is alive on the throne, and he's seeing generation after generation after generation coming to him. 
this is good news. The gospel would say this. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Christ is the Lord. That Jesus is the Lord. And you will be saved. You will be saved. Would you stand with me this morning? I was thinking, and I'm just going to say it, not next week, but in Luke 23, 47, as Jesus was there on the cross, upright, righteous, full of integrity, full of, full of God, the centurion saw this, and seeing what was happening, praised God and said, Surely, this was a righteous man. Surely, this was a righteous man. Father, we love you. God, I thank you so much, God, for your righteousness of your son. I thank you that your son lived this life. I thank you, Jesus, that we get to celebrate life next week, the life of our king of our Lord, of our affection, of our purpose, of our identity, of the reason why I breathe every day and every night, the reason I love my wife and my kids, the reason that I love those who are far from you. I'm so excited for that. But Jesus, would I be reminded today that I'm not righteous without you. Jesus, is because of you, I get to give you glory. It's because of you, we get to give you glory. God, thank you you're in control. Because if I was in control of my life, it would cease to exist. We love you. Pray you bless everybody today. God, those who may be dealing with pain and suffering and still have a lot of question marks. But they know that Jesus is alive. And that's the hope of glory. We love you. Amen.